Parsha's Kisisa is very challenging. It's a very challenging Parsha. Uh, not least of which is because there's this metal cow thing, uh, the Egel Hazahav. Now, the Egel Hazahav, let's, let's frame this Let's frame this properly. The Jews are at Har Sinai, still at Har Sinai, where a little bit over a month ago they communicated with God. <laughs> Say that again. Not they daven to Hashem, not merely, you know, you spoke to him. No, 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 no. He spoke to you. He spoke to them. Okay? They communicated. As it says in the Pasuk and Parshish Yisrael, I don't want to go back to this, but, but it says, means that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is saying it's, in, it's imperative that the Jews hear me, hear God when he speaks, in order for them to understand the Nevuah and believe the Nevuah of Moshe. So it has to happen that way. So the Jews literally, actually communicate with Hashem. And then a little longer than a month, about 40 days later, they say, you know, I think it would be great if we had a metal cow. That would be awesome. And they come to Aaron and they say, Kum, which means, arise and make for us gods that will go before us. Because this Moshe, the man who took us out of Egypt, we don't know what happened to him. And Aaron is like, well, that's a, you know, that's a reasonable thing to, to ask. And so he goes with this delaying tactic because you know, he doesn't want to make an idol because that's a terrible thing to do. So instead, he says famously, take the jewelry, take the earrings of your wives and your children, which of course you understand that was obviously a stalling tactic because if you want to stall for time, the best way to do it is you say, hey, go ask your wives for all their jewelry. I'm sure they'll give it up so, so quickly, which, of course, they don't. And that's why the Pusik says, and that's what the Pusik says, that the Jews went and took their earrings from their own ears, which is fascinating for a couple reasons. Number one, because that shows you that there's a biblical raya that men wear earrings in the Torah. So anyone that tells you that earrings for a man are beged isha, uh, well, I mean, that person didn't read the Torah. Uh, yeah, so there's that. Um, and secondly, and secondly, this is what the actual, they were willing to do it, whereas the women were not. And more on that, Mr. Shem, actually next week in Parshas Vayakel, that's going to come up like seriously, mwah, gorgeous Parshas Vayakel. But for now, so they take the earrings out and they give it to Aaron and it says, and he turns it around and he crafts it into this golden calf. Um, and then when the, when the cow comes out, they, they say, which means these are your gods, Israel, who took you out of Egypt. Now, I'm curious. I'm curious. You see, if if you're starting a religion, if you're starting a religion, the best way to do it, as far as, as, far as I know historically, in terms of a uh, you know from a planning perspective, here's what you want to do. Unless you're L. Ron Hubbard and it's a whole you know Scientology thing. But if you want to go typical monotheistic, whatever, 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 here's the here's the recipe. Uh, here's the recipe for success. You find a bunch of people that think that you're awesome, and you tell them that God spoke to you and that you're the prophet. Like that's how this works. And if you don't believe me then ask any number of false prophets that we've seen crop up over the past 2,000 years or so. They always have exactly the same story. God or an angel or Gabriel or Moroni or whatever it was, he came to me and he says, I'm the prophet and therefore you should give me all your money. That's basically, that's basically how religions work. Um, the thing is, however, if you say that to your four best friends who were with you in the room the day before and you're like, hey guys, remember that time yesterday when God came to me and told me I was the prophet? And they're like... Well, actually, Bill, um, we were with you, and uh, nothing of the sort happened, as a matter of fact. So what do you mean? Like, how do you look the Jews in the face and say, Here are your gods, Israel, that took you out of Egypt. You're like, bro, I was there, okay? Like, we, we, left, we literally left Egypt a minute ago. I was there. And you know who wasn't here? That metal cow. That metal cow. Because that metal cow is 17 minutes old. So he is not the one that took us out of Egypt. So how do you get, how do you, like, wrap your head around the idea you wrap your head around the idea that people with a straight face look at the Jews and say, crazy. Furthermore, furthermore, Eile, Eile, Elohecha Yisrael, these, 
These are your gods, Israel. These. You understand the word Ela is not the same thing as the word Zeh. If they would have said Zeh Elohech Yisrael, then they would have been merely idiotic, but at least they would have had excellent grammar. But when you say Ela, these are your gods, Israel, I'm pretty sure that, that the essential property of the word these is that it's plural. <laughs> That's what it makes, right? And how, many, how many calves were there? One! One! There was only one golden calf. It's not the Eglei HaZahav, although more on that later, because in fact we do get Eglei Zahav later in the time of Yeravah. Maybe we should talk about that. Yeah, we'll talk about that. So, but there's one Eglei Zahav, so it shouldn't be Ela Elohecha Yisrael. It should be Zeh Elohecha Yisrael. <laughs> very, very strange. Then, so, so then, while all this is going on, while all this is going on, Moshe is up there on the mountain, and he's downloading the matrix. He's downloading the Torah with Hashem for 40 days and 40 nights. And Hashem says, oh, Raid, get out of here, because And they're saying, oh, they're dancing around. Your people are terrible. Get off the mountain. Get off the mountain. As the Gemara says, the only reason that you're even in the matrix is because of the people, the Jewish people. I'm not doing it for you, Mo. I'm doing it for them. He says, get out. I don't need you. I'm going to kill them. And Moshe's response is, Lama why? Why are you so salty? Right? It's like, what was it that uh, Richard Sherman, right? Richard Sherman said to, to Brady, why are you mad, bro? Why are you mad, bro? That's literally what Moshe says to Hashem. The people are dancing around a golden cow at Har Sinai in the exact same place where Hashem gave him a Torah 15 minutes ago. And Moshe's like, what's your problem? Why are you upset? I say, why are you upset? Oh, I don't know. There's, they're doing the cardinal sin in my house. <laughs> Come on. What kind of a ridiculous question is that for Moshe to ask Hashem? But that's exactly what he says to him. And then, and then Moshe begins to manipulate Hashem. He manipulates him. He goes, you know, you know, Hashem, if you kill the Jews now, you know what the Egyptians are going to say? Oh my gosh. They're going to say, well, Hashem, ha, Hashem only took the Jews out so that he could kill them in the desert. He only he took them out. We say this on every, on every single fast day when we read the Yod Gimel Midos that was given right now, the 13 attributes of mercy. So it's like, so Moshe, Moshe is trying to get Hashem to not destroy the Jewish people for doing this awful, heinous crime of idolatry at Har Sinai. And first he's like, why are you so angry anyway? What's the big deal? And then he says, you know, God... This is going to be terrible PR. Like, the Egyptians are going to say that you took the Jews out to kill them. Like, that's not good. That won't be a Kiddush Hashem. You shouldn't do that. So instead, you know, remember Avraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov, that you swore to them, and you told them that you'd... And Hashem's like, oh, you know what? You're right, Moshe. Oh, great. Great. You know what? Fine. I'll forgive them, Moshe, because you've, you've really changed my mind about this. Seriously? I mean... You've changed my mind about this. Is, is God that easily manipulable? And he had forgotten Avraham Yitzhak and Yaakov. He's like, oh, man, drat. I forgot about them. Thanks for reminding me, Mo. Thank you so very much. You know what? I won't kill the Jews. And that, you're absolutely right. I did not, I did not consider... I did not consider what the Egyptian tabloids were going to say tomorrow. So thank you very, very much for bringing that up. I will, in fact, not kill the Jews. <laughs> the whole thing makes no sense. Then Moshe goes down. And he sees his brother Aaron, and he's like, wow, what, what happened, man? What did you do? What have you done? What have you done? And Aaron says, oh, oh, no, 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 no. It wasn't me. 
it wasn't me. Like, you know how these people are. It's them. They're awful. They came to me and said, Kumase Lano Elohim. And I said, Okay, Pirku, Nizme Hazahava, Shirbas Nechem. And I said, Give me your earrings. And I did. And I threw it into the, and I threw it into the big bottle, uh, not bottle, what a core, what would you say? Uh, a smelting pot. And I threw it into the smelting pot. And then, poop, out came Ha'egel Hazeh. I just threw it into the core. I threw it into the into the smelter, and this is what came out. Like, I, I, I didn't have anything to do with this. I was at a family barbecue. What are you talking about? Like, I know it was you, and, and you're such a liar. I mean, your mom is a liar. You understand? On the previous page, when the Torah is recording, the Torah is recording what happened at Har Sinai with the ego, it says that Aaron took the gold, and he put it into the smelting pit, and then, which means he formed an ego. <laughs> It's an accident. I know you got these great midrashim, right? You have the medrash that says that that they came by with a little petek that said "Ale sure," and they threw it in, and out popped this, you know, magical, uh, magical dancing, prancing metal cow. But like it says, which which explicitly is the Torah saying to you that he formed it to be like that. So come on, who are you fooling? Who are you fooling? Very strange. And then it says. Then it says, Fayar Moshes Ha'am Ki Paruahu, Ki Haron Lashim Very hard word, very hard, uh, very hard possible to understand once again. And Moshe sees the nation that they are uncovered because Aaron had uncovered them, Ki Haron, because Aaron had uncovered it, Lashim Tsa The word Shim means, I mean, it actually, uh, the, only, the only surviving usage of this word that I'm aware of, being from the family I'm from, and the, you know, like my kind of, is Shmutz. <laughs> Shmutz. Shmutz is dirt. Dirt, schmutz. So lishimtsa is a dirt. Dirty, it's dirty. Which means Aaron had uncovered it for a schmutz, for a dirty, with those who would stand against them. I'm going to say that again. Moshe saw the nation was uncovered because Aaron had uncovered them for a dirt with those who would stand against them. Seriously, like that's your problem? Like your problem is that now they don't look so good? Like maybe they're a little bit schmutzy? There's like some schmutz? There's some schmutz. That's your problem. How about the problem that God's going to obliterate these people? He's going to annihilate them because they're worshiping idols at the temple, at the scene of Har Sinai. Maybe that's the problem. What's the schmutz business? What's the schmutz business? And furthermore, become a ham with those who would stand against them. God is standing against them right now. Like, who are you worried about? You're worried about like, the Amaleks? Like, who are you worried about? So weird. So weird. So let's understand. Let's understand what's really happening with the Egel Hazahav. Because Obviously, obviously, when you and I read it, the thing that we struggle with is how could the people have possibly been so stupid? How could the people have really thought that this metal cow was their god? How could the people sin to Hashem at Har Sinai so soon after Matan Torah? And if you ask those questions, if those are your questions, then you're not understanding the story. That's the point. The point is that if you and I were there, if you and I were there, man, we would have been dancing around. We would have been dancing around. And that's why the stories in the Torah, it's so important. And in fact, the Kodesh Baruch Hu says, and the Gemara says, the Chazal explained that every single time that a Baruch Hu, that he brings something terrible upon us, a punishment, there's a little bit of the ego there. God is taking off from our account. One billion, one billion, one billion, one billion, one billion, just like that. Counting down from the ego. But what that means is, it's not like God put, put our, our punishment plan on layaway. That's not what it's saying. It's saying that munach, it's saying that inherent, inherent and nested in whatever the problems of your particular age and generation are, there is something, there is something 
of the ego within it. So let's see if we can understand that a little bit better. So first thing, this is so important, so important. The ego was never, never at any point intended to be a replacement for Hashem. That's like, that's first grade stuff, man. That's first grade stuff. When it says, when it says, the people come to Aaron, Ba'yikahalu, they gather up on Aaron and they say, which means, get, make for us gods that will go before us because this Moshe the man who took us out of Egypt, we don't know what happened to him. When you say this Moshe the man, who are you trying to replace? Mo. You're trying to replace Moshe. The exact same blushing. We're replacing Moshe. Not replacing Hashem. That's piece number one. Piece number two. This Moshe the man. Oh, you mean Moshe the man. Moshe the man. You know, I'm glad you pointed that out. I used to think you were referring to Moshe the rhinoceros. But now that you say, Now I know that you meant Moshe Amramson, the man. Why are they saying in the passage, this Moshe the man? Just say Moshe, and we know precisely who you're talking about because there's only one Moshe in the Bible, so we know who you mean. So just say, That's all you have to say. What the passage is explaining to you is that the reason that they have this concern in the first place, the problem that they're trying to solve, is the fact that Moshe is a man. <laughs> That's the problem. The problem is that he's a man. You know what happens to men? 100% of them, by the way. 100% of men, they die. They die. And that's a big problem, because if you've got this massive group of people who are leaderless, you just decapitated the people, because Moshe's dead, and we don't have any kind of... Like, it, it, it's Putin's Russia, right? Like, it's anybody's game. <laughs> if, he, if he goes tomorrow, like, who takes over? Who takes over? Nobody really, nobody, the answer is nobody knows, okay? I mean, don't pretend you know. But nobody knows. Nobody knows. So they say, Zemosha Haisha, share a lot of marriages. I'm like, hello. Like, we need, we need to be able to unite around somebody right now. Now, the natural choice, of course, would have been to replace him with Aaron. That would have been what you or I would have done, right? I mean, just, uh, I mean, Intuitively, right? You place him with Aaron, but they can't replace him with Aaron because Aaron is three years older than Moshe. <laughs> so five years, three years. He's oh, he's all yeah, he's three years. He's three years older than Moshe. He's three years older than Moshe. So Moshe just dropped dead. Maybe we don't know what happened to him. And now you're going to die, and we're in the same problem. And therefore, we need some sort of symbol. We need some sort of symbol that we can all rally around that is not going to die. And you know what never dies? Metal cows. Metal cows never die. <laughs> cows never die. So it actually is. Very intuitive for them to want to have some kind of unifying factor that's not mortal. That's what they're asking for. A replacement of Moshe that's not mortal. And our own, our own crafts the Egel. That's clear. That's explicit in the Pasuk. The Kra tells you that. It says, He made it. He crafted it into an Egel, which tells you, the following, number one, that it wasn't accidentally a calf. It's not like he tried to make a, a flamingo and it just so happens that, you know, he's not so, he's not so artistic and it popped out looking more like a cow. And he's like, I'll just do a little bit of snippets in the ears and here you go, you have a cow. No, he meant to make it into a calf. That's very specific. That's piece number one. Piece number two is there is only one. So why do they say Ela? These. Listen carefully because it's so beautiful. I'll tell you why they said these. Here's the thing about religion especially religious symbols. And it doesn't have to be, uh, it doesn't have to be a, uh, an artifact. It can be a man. It could be a woman. It can be a grave. It could be an amulet. It can be a piece of parchment. It could be a magic ring. Here's the thing about religion. 
You see, if you and I, if you and I both have this, this great esteemed leader, we'll call him, oh, I don't know, Rabbi William, okay? And like, man, the Harav Meirenu Harav Reb William, he's fat, he is the Mashiach. Oh my gosh, it's amazing, it's awesome. It's awesome, he's our guy. The best part of Moreno Harav Reb William, the best part of him is that what I connect to about him what I connect to about him is his Torah. What he connects to about him is his aura. What she connects to about him is his way of speaking. What that guy connects to about him is his emotional. Everyone's got a different idea that makes them connect. So for example, if you want to look at this from a, you know, from a more American Christian lens. So you say you have, you have millions and millions and millions, tens of millions, hundreds of millions of Christians. And, but this one is partial to, you know, let's get like, uh, you know, let's Will Ferrell it up, right? So you got this one has um, the baby Jesus. And this one is, is, is a fan of the Virgin Mary. And this one is John the Baptist. And this one is Saint this or Saint that. Don't you understand? It's great. You can literally have your cake and eat it too. We can all have one God. We can all have this one monotheistic, you know, Jesus is the Lord and Savior, but I connect with Mother Mary, and he connects with John the Baptist, and he connects with St. Paul, and he connects with St. Peter, and Luke, and da-da-da-da-da, and then everybody can be happy because you can all have so many really different little gods within the umbrella of one God. Ela Elohecha Yisrael. These are your gods, Israel. Ela, these. And like, but there's only one cow. That's right, there's only one cow. But what the cow means to me, what the cow means to him, what the cow means to him, there are 14 different chassidises based on the same metal cow. That's the point. Ela Elohecha Yisrael. When Aaron says to Moshe, when Aaron says to Moshe, hey man, listen, I just threw the gold in. Vyatza ha'igel it's like Moshe, Moshe's going to call that lie out all day long. Like, what are you talking about, man? You crafted this. That's not the point. It's not what Aaron's saying. What Aaron is saying is, what Aaron is saying is, this eagle that you, that you my, my older brother, I'm sorry, my younger brother Moshe, this, this eagle that you're seeing, that's not what I made. I didn't make that. The thing that everybody's dancing around, yes, I crafted the physical thing. That's not the point. The way that it was used had nothing to do with what my intention was in making it. That's not what I was doing. What I was doing is I was, oh my goodness gracious. You see what happens? You see what happens when it's Purim and all of your in-laws are calling you from Israel because, well, because they're drunk. <laughs> so sorry, I'm learning Torah now. Odin, I'll talk to you later. In any event. V'yatzah ha'egel hazeh is Aaron saying to Moshe, this wasn't the intention of what I was doing. I was trying to first stall for time. And then since they weren't allowing me to stall for time because they gave me all the gold, what I did was I gave them a way through which to connect to Hashem in a mikdash, in a temple. In fact, as my uncle points out, beautiful. The Pasuk in Yechezkel says as follows. When Yechezkel ben Buzi has the vision of the Merkava, of God's chariot, it talks about four different avatars, four different uh, manifestations for different creatures that are on this Merkava that are drawing God's chariot. And in, and in one of the visions, there is a cow. In the second vision, it's no longer a cow. It turns into a kruv. It turns into a kruv. Well, what's on top of the Aron Kodesh? Kruvim. Kruvim. The cow turns into the kruv. You understand that that means that a cow and a kruv are essentially the same. It's the inverse of the other. Aron was making an Aron. Aaron was making the Merkava, giving the Jews the ability to connect to Hashem. That's what he was doing. What did they use it for? Avodah Zarah. Of course they used it for idolatry. What do you think people do with religious symbols all the time? But you understand. Let's, let's be very clear about this. Let's be very clear about this. Of course Aaron was not making an Avodah Zarah. If you think that Aaron was making an Avodah Zarah, you're insane. 
Aaron would rather die than make an Avodah Zarah. He's not making Avodah Zarah. He's making an icon that he suspects, that he is certain of, is not an Avodah Zarah. And the people took it and made it into an Avodah Zarah. Would you like an example for that? Because he says, sprung, 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 give me a break. You're making that up. That's not true. I'll give you an example from the Torah. Tell me something. Have you ever heard of Nechushtan? Who's Nechushtan? Nechushtan, I'm glad you asked. Nechushtan is the snake, the copper snake that Moshe makes in the desert. We're going to have later on, Torah's going to say that the Jews were getting bitten by Nechashim Hasrafim, these, these, burning, uh, these burning snakes. And Akash Baruch says to Moshe, Make for yourself a uh, a snake and put it on a banner, and then anyone who gets bit, who gets bitten will look at the snake and then they'll live. And that's what Moshe does. Now, now this this uh, snake that Moshe made was affectionately uh, nicknamed Nechushtan, copper one, copper one. Ye- hundreds and hu- more, more than hundreds, over probably about a thousand years later. About a thousand years later, um, is that right? No, maybe a little bit less than that. But for about about a thousand, a thousand years later. Uh, this same snake is cut down. It's taken away. Why? Because people started worshiping it. People started worshiping this copper snake. But you, from this, you learn two things. The first thing you learn is that, of course, you could make a copper snake. Well, if you can make a copper snake, why can't you make a golden cow? <laughs> so you can make a copper snake without a golden cow. The second thing you learn from it is that the people took the copper snake and they made it into a god. What does that remind you of? <laughs> it's the same thing. So it's not a problem per se with with crafting a uh, a particular animal out of a particular metal for a particular reason. The problem is how the Jews are going to corrupt that reason and make it into an idol. That's what we do. And the reason that we do this goes back to what we said before about Ela Elohechi Yisrael. These are your gods, Israel. It's because everyone likes to connect how they like it. So instead of me looking at this symbol, at this snake, at this cow, instead of me looking at this for the way that Aaron intended it, Instead of me understanding what it is that we're supposed to go through in order to connect to God on his terms, no, 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 no. I'm going to do it on my terms. I'm going to say these special prayers that my special rabbi William wrote. And I'm going to wear this special bracelet, which was blessed by my special rabbi William. And I'm going to, you get the point. Ela Elohecha Yisrael. These are your gods, Israel, who took you out of Egypt. They know that Hashem took them out of Egypt. That was never in question. They're replacing Moshe. They're not replacing Hashem. But once you replace Moshe, once you replace Moshe and you give the people a symbol, those people can twist that symbol any which way. Any which way. They can ascribe to it powers. They can begin praying to it. I mean, for crying out loud, this is literally why we don't know where Moshe's buried. Why not? Because they would have made it into a shrine. That's why we can't know where Moshe's buried. We literally can't know where Moshe's buried because you Jews... You would clear, you make him into an Avodazara. Moshe himself, not just the metal. That's piece number one. Piece number two, I think this is like basic. It's not obvious, it's just it's so fundamental. So we know, we know in Sefer Malachim that Yeravam, Yeravam ben Nevat, who is the king of the of the kingdom of Israel, the northern kingdom of ten tribes, after the the, the nation split in king, under King Rechavam, the son of Shlomo. So Shlomo dies, his son Rechavam takes over, and the kingdom split into two kingdoms, the southern kingdom of Judah and the northern kingdom of Israel. The northern kingdom of Israel was run by a guy named Yeravam. He was a really, really bad dude. When I say bad dude, say the Gemara says, uh, It's the Mishnah in Sanhedrin. You know, who, you know who the guys that don't get any chilek in the world to come? Everyone, every Jew gets a chilek yolam haba. However, except these ones, because Yeravam, Achav, and Menashe. 
Yeravam is number one of the kings. I'm sorry, I, I said, I, I, I mixed that up, I, didn't I? I said four kings and three people and three commoners. It's not, it's, it's the reverse. It's three kings and four commoners. It's Yeravam, Achav, Menashe, Bilam, Doeg, Achitofel, and Gechazi. There are three kings who don't have any chelek le'olam habo, and the first and foremost among that list is Yeravam ben Nevat. Why? Because Yeravam ben Nevat set up two golden calves. Are you kidding me? No, I'm not. It's the truth. He sets up two golden calves, one in the south of his kingdom, one in the very, very north of his kingdom. And he says, there's no reason for you guys to go to the base of Mikdash anymore. Ela Elohecha Yisrael. Oh my God, are you kidding me? Did he really, really say that? Yes, he did. So here's your Rav. I'm saying to the descendants of the people who remember what happened to them when they danced around the golden calf in the desert in the first place. He's saying to those people, hey guys, check out my really cool golden cow gods. I got one in the south. I got one in the north. You don't even have to come down to Miami anymore, Yeshiva Week, because you've got your own god in Lawrence. What's going on here? How could it be? How is it possible that Yeravam was able to con the Jewish people into thinking that that's a good idea? That's like, seriously? And Mela, if he would have used like a different kind of metal and a different kind of animal, you could say perhaps he fooled them somehow. He quite literally made two golden calves. It's not like the Jews didn't know the history. I'll tell you what I think the pshat is. The golden calf the golden calf is not a god as long as Moshe's there. The second Moshe comes down the mountain, and it's like so fascinating, right? Because the people, like, you know, they killed Hor, they murdered him because he wouldn't go along with the plan. Moshe comes down the mountain, and immediately, <laughs> immediately people are like, wasn't me. <laughs> and he takes the thing and grinds it up, burns it, grinds it up, puts it in the water. You know, <laughs> wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Like a minute ago, this was your god. A minute ago, a minute ago, you were like bowing to this thing and all of a sudden Moshe comes down and you're not willing to even fight for your God? And the answer is, what are you talking about? Like the thing's not a, clearly not a God and when Moshe's standing right there within the context, of course it's not a God. Of course not. It was obvious to the people that when Moshe's standing right there, what this thing is. However, sans Moshe, when you take Moshe out of the equation, all of a sudden, that copper snake that he made starts to look very godly indeed. Almost as though I can connect to God through peering very intently into the deep copper of said snake, Nehushtan. Once again, you can, you, can have, you can have metal animals. Hashem told Moshe to have Nehushtan. You can have metal animals. That's not the problem. So you see, the context is everything. As long as Moshe's there, nobody's bowing to this copper snake. Nobody's bowing to this golden cow. It's obvious what its role is. In the case of the snake, it was about chet. And in the case of the Egel Hazav, it's clearly about temple service. It's the Merkava, which is why they go to Aaron, right? Obviously, Aaron is the guy who's going to run the temple service. Hello. So, so, when Moshe comes down, it's obvious. Well, if that's the case, then let's go to the back to Sefer Malachim. In Sefer Malachim, when Yeruvim ben Nevat puts up two Egel Hazahavs in the north and the south of his kingdom. Do you know how he's able to con the people into thinking it's a good idea? Because what are you talking about? Obviously, I don't mean for them to be Avodah Of course they're not going to be Avodah What are you, crazy? We would never make that mistake again. These are just icons. They're just ways for us to, you know, connect to Hashem. You see, but, but, but we had an Egel Hazahav before. We had an Egel Hazahav and thousands of Jews died. And it says that every time, every time Hashem 
brings punishments on the Jews. There's a little bit of that eagle. And now you're going to make two of them? And the answer is yes, of course, because give me a break. I'm here. I'm here. I'm your Ravam. I'm the king. I'm the greatest god the Hador on the planet Earth. You've never seen anybody like me. I'm awesome. Like, you wouldn't make the mistake of thinking that these silly little golden cows are actually like God. Of course, they're not God. They're temples. I got a temple in the north. I got a temple in the south. It's very important to have a shul, don't you know? Have to have a base medrash. Got to have a nice yeshiva wherever you go. Well, here's our beautiful, beautiful yeshiva in the south. And uh, guess what symbolizes it? A big golden calf. Because after all, as we know, Aaron made that. He wasn't wrong in the design. The only problem with Aaron's calf is the fact that people got all lost in their minds and started worshiping it. But we know better. And of course, as you know, <laughs> we never know better. We always revert to those same mistakes because it's the human nature aspect of it. The human nature, I start to connect the way that I need for my own very deeply rooted psychological needs. I have my psychological needs. I have my emotional needs. And then all of a sudden, I start connecting not to whatever it is that Hashem wanted me to connect to, but instead I start connecting to my own echo chamber. I worship in a hall of mirrors. That's the problem with the Egel Hazav. Well, if that's the case, that's the case. Then let's go back to what it is that Moshe says to Hashem. Moshe says to Hashem, Lama Hashem Why are you upset? I'm like, what do you mean why I'm upset? You're bowing down to idols down at the foot of the mountain. And Moshe's like, no, 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 Hashem. These people, these people are idiots. They don't know any better. They think they're doing something good. They're, of course, not trying to replace Hashem. They're trying to replace me. And they're foolish. And this is what they did. So they don't know any better. So I'll go down and I'll take care of the problem. And sure enough, he does. But it's a very, very, it's a very viable and legit thing that Hashem, that Moshe says to Hashem. He says, why are you upset? These people don't know anything. You're going to tell me, you're going to tell me that all the people that you and I know that are superstitious Jews, they're superstitious Jews. They think they, they, you know, they have a special mezuzah that they keep in their car and they kiss it all the time. They think it's like magical. It's like, you think they think they're worshiping idols? Of course not. They just don't know any better. They think that this is a magical, special picture that's blessed by some saint or something because they don't know better. Why are you so upset? Now, in terms of the narrative, when he says, Lama Yomru Mitzrayim, why should the Egyptians say? Let's understand very simple like this. At the end of the day, everything, everything is for the honor of Hashem. And the connection that Hashem has with people is only for the ultimate perfection of this world. Well, if that's the case, then if I have this terrible putrid generation of Jews that has to be wiped out, that's okay. We'll wipe it out down to the bare nubbins and then they'll grow back again. They'll grow back again to the entity that they were supposed to be, ab initio. There's no reason, there's no reason to let them continue. I'll mow them down and start again. And that's what he says to Moshe. I'll make you into a big nation. Makes sense. And Moshe says to Hashem, you can do that. And that would work. However, it can also be seen this way. The whole idea of what we're trying to accomplish to bring the world towards that perfection, there are many different ways that that can go. One such way is with these very people who you see before you on this mountain right now, flawed though they are, flawed though they are, let's make a connection that goes straight from the Avos through them all the way to the future despite their, their, despite their problems, despite the things they don't understand, despite their shortcomings. And besides, why should there be a Chil Hashem to do this? There doesn't need to be. There needn't be a Chilol Hashem of people saying terrible, terrible things about God. You think God is so, uh, he's so sensitive. 
He's so insecure about what the Egyptians might say about him. That's not the point. Moshe's saying the only thing that matters here, because the end is going to be the same either way. The end is going to, you're going to see a Davidic king on the throne in the Mashiach. The world is going to be Metukan. It's going to go back to the, the level of other Mauritian Kodama Like that's going to happen. The question is, how do we get there? How long does it take? And who does it go through? So Moshe is saying to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, one second, it doesn't have to be like this. I choose for it to be this way. Let's do it this way, God. Let's do it without killing them. And Hashem's response is, okay, done. Done. We can do it your way. It doesn't have to be the other way. It could be this way if that's how you prefer it. Hashem gave Moshe a choice, which is exactly why it says to him, Hanichali. Hashem says to Moshe, leave me and I'll kill them. And Moshe understands, says the Gemara, he understands from that, ah, when you say Hanichali, when you say leave me alone so that I might kill them, well, that means that it's up to me because I don't have to be Miniachyu. Moshe understood from what HaKadosh Baruch Hu said to him that it's his decision. They can go this way and they can go that way. And Moshe says, we're going to keep them alive with all their shortcomings, with all their problems, and we're going to make it work. And it's going to take a long time in the future. And because of that, because of this, here's what Moshe sees. Not so much that the Jews are helpless, because they're not. And not that they're so terrible, because they're not. It says, Which means, and Moshe and Moshe saw the people were uncovered because Aaron had uncovered them for a shmutz to those who would stand against them. What does that mean? It means that Moshe sees now, now they're vulnerable. Why are they vulnerable? Because their proclivities have been uncovered. You see, before the Jews danced around the eagle, those who might attack them, more on that in a moment, those who might attack them from the outside have no indication that they're susceptible to this sort of silly religious thinking that can be their undoing. But now that they've seen the Egel Hazahav, now, those who would stand against them have an opening. Now they have an opening. And do you know who this is referring to? Someone very specific. Billy. <laughs> Billam! Who's become mayhem? Who's Moshe worried about is going to come after the Jews? Billam. Moshe, the second Moshe looks at the golden calf and looks at the people, he says, Aaron, you have made the people vulnerable. Not to Amalek. Amalek's going to attack you anyway. Bilaam's going to attack you now. Now you're open. Now Bilaam can come at you. And this is why the Gemara says in Brachos, so the Gemara says there were three things that, that Moshe asked HaKadosh Baruch Hu. He says, I, Moshe says to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, I want you to not be mashre your shechina on the Umosa Olam. Don't give prophets to, to the nations. Why is that your issue right now? Why is your issue when the Jews are in the middle of perhaps being annihilated for a horrific action of a Vodazara? Are you worried about giving profits to the other nations? And the answer is, of course that's what I'm worried about because now that the Jews have shown themselves to be susceptible to that sort of religious attack, Bilam's going to come gunning for them. And in fact, he does. So in the very same Parsha, in the very same Parsha where the Torah tells you that Moshe asks HaKadosh Baruch Hu to not be Masha his Shechina on Akum, to not give his connection, his prophecy to them. This is, of course, the exact same Parsha that ends with Moshe seeing God, Panim El Panim, that Moshe would speak to God face to face. Why are you telling me that now? You could have told me that before. But it just so happens that there are two, there are two prophets in history that were on this level of prophecy. One is Moshe and the other is, of course, ding, 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 Bilam. Bilam. So we have it here and we have it again in Vizosa Bracha. Where is this place mentioned? Where is it mentioned? It's mentioned at the very, very end of the Torah. 
It says at the end of the Torah, And never again there arose in the B'nai Yisrael a prophet like Moshe who spoke to God face to face. And so it says to the Gemara, what do you mean, There was never a prophet. What do you mean there's never a prophet in Israel? There's never a prophet. And the answer is because there was. Just not in Israel. There was a prophet like that. Who was that prophet? Billy! Billy was that prophet. But check it out, it gets even cooler. It gets even cooler. Because right after that it says, To all, Moshe was the greatest prophet of Israel. And these are all the things that he did. <coughs> Excuse me. And these are all the things that he did. Those are the last three words in the Torah. To the eyes of all Israel. And listen to so beautiful. Oh my goodness. Says the Gemara. This refers to the breaking of the Luchos. That's the greatest act that Moshe ever did. As it says, Yashir Koach Sheshibarta. Hakosh Brochu says to Moshe, Good job that you broke him. Good job that you broke him. But one second, one second. What that means is we have at the very end of the Torah, the greatest act that Moshe ever does is framed as the breaking of the Luchos because it saves Klal Yisrael. He breaking of the Luchos is the greatest thing he ever does. And in the same breath, it's telling you that there never was a prophet like Moshe in Israel. Well, there's one other part in the Torah that talks about Moshe speaking to God face to face and the breaking of the Luchos. And that's right here, Parshas Kisisa. So you have, again, the breaking of the Luchos right here. Moshe is talking to God face to face, and Moshe is saying, Please, Hashem, don't give your Shechina anymore to the nations. Why not? Because now that they see that they're susceptible, they can come at the Jews. become So let's see if we could do a quick recap of the things that we've discussed today. The Egel Hazav was never intended to be God. Of course not. Aaron's not a fool. Aaron was making a symbol that people could unite around. Aaron was replacing Moshe as the unifying force, which, as we've seen, can be done. It can be done. What happened was the people took it and they misused it and they misread it and they misconstrued it and they used it as an Avodah Not many, by the way. Only 3,000, which is like one-tenth of one percent. But that's enough. <laughs> oh, boy, that's enough. So Moshe says, Hakash why are you so upset? Hashem, they just don't get it. They're, they're, they're fools. Why are you upset at them? Let's do it this way. And Hashem says, okay, Moshe. But you have to recognize that every time that these people th- throughout history are going to have problems, it's always going to be from that teeny tiny kernel of the Egel Hazav, which is the idea of Ela Elohech Yisrael, the fact that you want to connect to Hashem in your terms, not His terms. The fact that in truth what you really worship is self. That's the issue. It's self. It's always self. We have to be so careful. We have to be so careful. And now that that has happened, now that that has occurred, Moshe is nervous. He's worried about Bilam because Bilam now has an opening to destroy the Jewish people. So he says to Hashem, please don't give your Shekhinah to Umos HaOlam anymore. And this theme of Moshe's prophecy Bilam's prophecy and the shattering of the Luchos are twins in our Parsha and the very last words of the entire Torah. Have an amazing week and a beautiful Shabbos.